Good morning. Thought I'd share with you a little bit of the, a glimpse of things to come before I begin this morning. Next Sunday will uh, be the last Sunday in the month, and uh, the, the sermon will be brought by Dr. Hal Clark, almost said Harold. Harold is his name. His family calls him Harold, but everybody else calls him Hal. Dr. Hal is going to be preaching next week, and uh, he's actually, I, I believe it's going to be a message that you shared in part with the choir um, back a, a few months ago, and I was so moved that night by what he was sharing, um, I asked him specifically if he, would, if he would share that with the whole congregation, because I just was really, I was really moved, and uh, so I'm looking forward to having Hal come next Sunday, um, and I really appreciate that, Hal. Next, uh, the next following week, our mission team, Lord willing, will be back Sunday morning, the 5th of August, 6th of August, okay, and, uh, but we are coming back on Saturday, we're flying home on Saturday through Paris, and um, we don't get to enjoy Paris, we're just going to stop at the airport for like an hour or two, something like that, but things can happen when you're traveling and, you know, touching three different continents. So uh, if we don't, <laughs> if we don't make it, I almost hate to even talk about this, but if we don't make it, um, there is a plan. Just want you to know, Don Cunningham has a break the glass sermon ready to go. <laughs> Emergency sermon. And so um, that'll be great. And we'll, um, you guys will be fine. But uh, Lord willing, we'll be back. We'll be doing our report from our mission uh, in Senegal. So that'll be the first Sunday of the month. And the second Sunday of the month, Todd Ellefson is going to be with us from Indonesia, our, our missionary in Indonesia. Todd and Melody will be here for the weekend of the 13th. So those are the few things coming up. It's gonna be an exciting time the next few weeks in church. So we've been moving in and out of some different series this summer, as you probably noticed. We started with a series on joy I had a couple of Sundays in that, and then uh, we, uh, Pastor Dan followed that in a, a series on hope. And then uh, Greg Canaham was here for a couple of weeks. He also had a, a series that related to that. Now we're coming back to joy, and this has more to do with the fact of just kind of who's here and when, how vacations worked and everything. So this is the third in a three-part series from Philippians on, on joy. Not only does the New Testament have a lot to say about joy, but also this short epistle of Philippians is just shot through with joy and rejoicing and being joyful. Paul can't stop using the words joy, joyful, rejoice as he writes to the Philippians. So we began by asking why. What is going on with Paul that makes him so joyful? It is noticeable that he's much more joyful in this epistle than he is in all the others. So why? What prompted this? So in the first message, I suggested that it's his confidence in God as a finisher. That's part of this. God is transforming these Philippians in a process that started in a Philippian jail of all places, and it continues to the present time for Paul. And he began it, God will 
complete it in the, in the process of making these Philippians into Christ-like disciples. God is doing it. God will finish it. And this causes Paul to be joyful. So there's the first reason. He's beginning, he's continuing, he's finishing the process of redemptive transformation for the Philippians. Well, so second then, we, we looked at the deep relationships that Paul has with the Philippians, and this is also evident in this letter. He says, it is right to have you in my heart the way I do, and you love me and I love you, and it's, it's just, he can't really even express it fully, how deeply he feels connected with the Philippians. He's participating with them in mission. They've collaborated together. They've been there for each other. But at the same time, this brings him joy, but it also brings him concern because there's a possibility of a rift in their fellowship. Remember the, the names Euodia and Syntyche, these two women. Paul is saying, hey, you two women, I urge you to get along with each other. Mend those fences and get along. And then he talks about how to do that. And we, we talked about the deep relational joy that happens when servanthood and forgiveness is part of the picture. So today in this third message, I'd like us to consider one more reason Paul is so joyful. And we go right to the end of the letter to find the most famous of the joy passages in Philippians. And I would guess that many of us grew up singing these words in Sunday school. You know what I'm talking about? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. There's a lot of rejoicing. Rejoice, rejoice. And it goes on and on. That's a lot of rejoicing in one little song, isn't it? It's actually a really good reflection of this epistle, because it just kind of comes in, and, and it's ongoing. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. So this passage at the end of Philippians is at the same time very happy, but it's also confusing. And here's why. It's like a patchwork quilt because it, it, it's like a hodgepodge of, of advice and exhortations from Paul. You could read it this way. I don't recommend this, but you could read it this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything with gratitude, and you'll have peace. Oh, and think about these things. It's like commentators have said, this is difficult because it's like, it's just a compendium of a whole bunch of different things that he had to say, but they don't relate to each other. I actually am not choosing to see this passage like this. Just a collection of sayings. And while I don't have all the answers for why he says what he says, I can't help but see some connections here between these phrases, beginning, of course, with the one about joy. So this sets the stage. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. The word is in present tense imperative. It's a, it's a verb in the original language that calls for continual and hab habitual action to rejoice. Continuing and habitual. 
N.T. Wright suggests that when the Philippians heard that word, kairiti, in the original language, they would have immediately thought of what we would call a public celebration. The cities like Philippi in the ancient world were known for their fantastic festivals, usually in honor of their favorite gods and their relationship to the city in question. So what Paul is suggesting here by saying celebrate joyfully, I mean really celebrate and just keep on celebrating, is to say it's not only right for the disciples of these other gods to do so, but it's right for the disciples of Jesus to do this as well, to celebrate God and to do it on a regular basis. God has a relationship with us. We have a relationship with him. So celebrate God. Did you know that we have this at the very beginning of our mission statement here at Mountain View? Our mission statement begins, we celebrate God by being a Christ-centered church. Paul is recommending this. Celebrate. May your life be a celebration. May your church be, have this, this culture of celebrating as you gather together. That's one of my prayers for this, this church, is that when we gather together, it feels like a celebration. So at the same time, I find it interesting that Paul follows immediately with this. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, is this just a random thought? Or does it relate to what he's just said? I see it relating. Sometimes celebrations can get so wild that those who are by nature quieter, more sensitive folks, get left in the dust. Or maybe don't even get invited to the party. I think Paul is saying here, celebrate, even publicly. Be joyful, but be aware of how you're coming across. Never forget your mission. Never forget why you're here. And be aware of how what you're doing is affecting people around you. I think there's balance here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. It's possible to celebrate, even to sometimes celebrate wildly, but to stay aware of who else is in the room. Make sure everybody gets to be a part of it. So, if we take these two sayings together, what follows next, once again, may seem a little off topic. The Lord is near. Now, there's a lot of debate as to whether this is a, a temporal saying or a spatial saying. In other words, is it the Lord is near close, or is it the Lord is near because Jesus is coming back? Paul always wrote from that perspective of the second coming of Jesus. However, I think what's going on here is that he's still thinking about joy. He can't help but think about joy. He's thinking about it the whole time he writes. And how it's possible even to have it. 
We need to remember here, I think, what's going on with Paul. One of the clues here is, um, is the letter itself. Paul's letters get collected into groups. Did you know that? There's the group of the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. He's writing to these young pastors. And these are the pastoral epistles he's writing to them. In which group do we find Philippians? Does anybody know? It's in a group of epistles. Yeah, it's the prison epistles. Along with Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Philippians was written while Paul was in prison in Rome. So get this. Paul has a capital charge hanging over his head. He's writing to people who had very little in terms of material wealth. They were poor. In fact, some of them were even slaves. And he's concerned with the unity of this church. Not to mention his concerns for all the other churches. So with all this on his mind, he's still joyful. He's joyful. I mean, hear, hear these words. I'm just going to start in an odd place in this reading. Hear this. Second half of verse 5. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. That makes sense. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Folks, here is the best answer to the question of Paul's joy and where it comes from. As I've been going through this series this is where I wanted to be, go. This is where, this is, I think this is the best answer. The nearness of the God who is listening, hearing our grateful prayers. So don't worry. Worry is the stealer of joy. It's impossible to be worried and joyful at the same time. I, I want to learn more about this. I, I shared a few weeks ago that I believe God wanted me to come to terms with this starting in 2013. I went to a pastoral conference called Credo, and I, I just kind of hit a brick wall, and suddenly I realized that I was not being myself anymore, that God had created me to be a joyful person, and I was no longer joyful so, I made some changes in my life that have helped me to rediscover joy in the last four years. I really feel like I'm on, I'm, I'm on this journey, and I'm still on it. But lately, I've been asking myself, how can I learn more about joy? Perhaps by following the example of joyful people. So, who are the most joyful people I know? Hmm. You know who they are? Joey, who are they? Yes. Absolutely. 
I mean, this was perfect this morning. The children. Now, I know this may come across as simplistic, but hear me out. I think we need to notice this, that Jesus was really on to something deeply, deeply important when he said the kingdom of heaven is made up of people like these, and he pointed to kids. Now, I'm not talking about a, a, a silly kind of slappy, happy thing. But rather, I mean real joy, the kind that even has tears in its eyes and it's still there. Never forget the day when we told Danny and Lucy that their daddy wasn't coming home. They were five and seven years old. Their, their daddy, my brother-in-law, Marty, had contracted a weird form of pneumonia and it, it, it went quickly into acute respiratory disease syndrome. If you know anything about ARDS, you, most people don't, don't live through it. And he didn't, he died. Prime of life, 33 years old. And so grandma is staying with the kids and it's her job to, to tell Danny and Lucy. Very wise woman. She sat them down and she said, kids, you know daddy went to the hospital because he was very sick. He said, yeah. And she said, daddy died in the hospital. They're not coming. He's not going to come home. And they opened their mouths and just wailed. They just cried so loud and so hard, just right there. And she just stayed there with them and just let them do that. And she said the next thing that happened was really, really fascinating. They stopped crying after a couple minutes. Danny went and found his daddy's motorcycle helmet. Lucy found daddy's flannel shirt. And they wore those things around the house for the rest of the day and they kept playing. They played, they laughed, they had fun. Once in a while they'd stop and they'd cry again, but then they'd go back to playing and laughter, playing. People who work with kids, experts on, on crisis and trauma tell us that children intuitively know how to grieve. Don't hold back news from kids. Tell them what happened and learn from them because they know how to do this. We adults, we've forgotten. So what is it that allows kids to do this? What is it that allows kids to be so joyful? You saw them up here this morning. What is it? It's simply that they are depending on someone else for all the stuff in life that worries the rest of us. I mean, look what, do you mind if I do this, Brenda? You are holding your daughter, right? Can you see her? She's not worried. She's not worried. Look at her. Is there anything that this baby can do for herself? 
Can she feed herself? Can she clothe herself? <laughs> can, she, can she find shelter for herself? Does she know how to write checks? <laughs> Does she understand credit cards or bills? <laughs> no, nothing. She is a picture of dependence. Look at kids. Listen to their laughter. Notice the joy. They've got it. It's because they know that mom and dad are near. So it's no wonder that right after saying, celebrate, be joyful, Paul reminds his friends in Philippi, the Lord is near. They don't need to be anxious. If you need something, gratefully ask. God is right here. The key, I think, the biggest key to joy is depending on God. The problem is that we adults have learned to depend on ourselves, on our money, our abilities, but none of those things bring lasting joy. No, it's childlike dependence on God that brings joy. So what is it that's robbing you of your joy? Your financial situation? Are you worried about your kids? Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your job. What is it? Is there something that you're worried about? You, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Do you have it in mind? I would say probably everybody here has something. Okay. Humor me for a minute. Let's do this. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Picture yourself holding a laundry basket. You know a laundry basket, the kind with handles on it. And in that basket is the thing that you have just identified that you're worried about. It's in the basket, you're holding the basket. Now, picture Jesus next to you. Notice his hands, the nail scars in those strong, calloused carpenter's hands. Now, lift that basket and hand it to him. Does he look worried holding your basket? In my mind, Jesus doesn't look worried at all. He's just holding the basket. You have just taken a small step toward joy. 
And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. May it be so for you and me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we, we thank you for the wisdom that the Apostle Paul had. I pray, God, that you would give deep joy to every person here, especially those, Lord, who have big, big worries. For we pray in the name of the one who is near, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you as you bring your offering to the Lord this morning.